Force History Podcast. Are you ready to learn, motherfuckers? Hello, listeners. This is your host, Devin, and I'm finally rejoined by my glorious co-host, Ben. Hello, everyone. I am Ben. How is everyone doing today? And we are finally here to bring you the vaunted and amazing, hopefully, Korea episode that we've been just absolutely dropping all over Twitter and some Facebook for like the last three weeks. Life, like we covered in last episode, happened, and we're here. So with that said, Ben, you and I have a lot to catch up with. What did you get into in the last three weeks? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Well, um... Just working on my horse farm. That's about it. <laughs> Nothing new. Uh, let me think. Uh, I saw the last episode of the season 10 of The Walking Dead. That was fantastic. Oh, my gosh. Uh, <laughs> other than that, that's about it. Um, yeah, that's honestly about it. Just life in general. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a pretty big same for me. Um, kind of sad that our D&D group has been getting wifed around, too. Um, <laughs> I was really that's, hoping, that's okay. really hoping to have Ulrich von Halen out there, fucking flaying bodies and taking names. But lo and behold, that probably won't happen today. So, um, oh well. Um, I my last three weeks has been pretty eventful. Um, went out to Twenty Nine Palms for some fun in the sun, and it could have been anything but that. It was hot, and I was sweaty. And I also had to buy a hat, so it was. Oh, a uh, hat! Yeah, it was. A, it was a really moto hat, dude. I bought one of those like bulldog hats from the PX. It was. Oh, something, something like whenever old we would wear when we're like old and like sixty or seventy years old. Yeah, you know, it was a matter of principle though, because yeah, the PX like the PX has two kinds of hats, right? They have affordable. But super, super motivated, super dumb hats. And you're like, man, I don't want to pay $9 to look like an idiot. But on the other hand, you're paying like $30 for like an Adidas golf hat. And no offense. Like I love Adidas. I love the song My Adidas. But I'm not paying $35 for something that I'm going to wear on my head for a week and probably forget about. So (laughs) on a matter of principle, hey, man, 20 bucks is 20 bucks. I saved 20 bucks on on buying the Motard hat. (laughs) Heck yeah! Who? I mean, if it's twenty dollars and it's Motard stuff, just buy it. Yeah, you know, like it'll yeah. end up in your closet, the same place the Adidas hat's going into. So it's a cheaper closet placeholder, I guess. Well, yeah, I'll I mean, like, only like, wear when I'm old. Yeah, I mean, like right now, I don't really wear hats, you know. But like, I think when I'm old, like my dad's age, like sixty years old, I'll wear a hat because by then my doctor would be like, "Hey, you're getting skin cancer on your head. Wear a hat." So that's probably what's going to happen. Well, it doesn't help that you're bald half the time, anyway, or very yeah, close to true. it. Yeah, I know. That's what happens when we get old. Speaking of speaking of bald, I've started growing my hair back out, so I'm no longer Ooh, a um, pinhead. I look Boop. like you know. You don't look like a boo. Oh, not even that. I look like a fucking egghead when I shave my head, dude. It's bad. Like, oh, oh, I look terrible. You, you remember um, that terrible haircut Matt Lauer had when he, it was like the mid-2000s and he went through his midlife crisis and shaved his shit? I look worse than that. I think so. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh. Yeah, it's bad. You saw it. I mean, come on now. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. But um, I have hair again, at least short-ish hair. So that's nice. Good. Um. 
I mean, really, other than a couple of almost old men talking about basic life stuff, that's that's pretty much been our lives for the last three weeks. So our, our listeners can figure out where the hell we've been as a as a crew. And um, now that we kind of transition into like the episode, so. Obviously, this episode is a little bit dated, but it was informed by current events. Um, about yeah. three and a half, four weeks ago now, the North Koreans did yet another of their many missile tests. And um, having worked that problem set before, I was kind of like, you know what? Let's do a blunt force history episode on Korea. Because it, originally, I kind of anticipated a little bit bigger of a media freak out over this one. I mean, they only covered it for, covered it for a couple of days, but I think we all remember that whole, Oh my God, yeah. North Korea is going to drop a nuke on my house. Freak out that we yeah. had back in 2017. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I figured we could um, use a little bit of historical analysis and talk through um, that kind of stuff and say, you know what? No, North Korea is not going to drop a nuke on your house. Don't shit your pants quite yet as a, um, as a way to kind of spread goodwill and hope amongst the people. So um, that's the context of why we're doing a Korea episode. And to really, um, to really set the context of why Korea is shooting missiles at people, we have to look at Korea as a whole, right? So yes. Korea as a concept is new. It's new, new like within the last hundred years new because for the longest time, the Koreans were an oppressed basically country of slave people to insert X Asian empire here. Right. Um, This literally goes back for millennia, but all the way back to Mongolians and, and the Han Chinese dynasties and stuff like that. The really, really sad history of Korea stretches for a thousand years. And then you have this just sudden uptick of violent events. And all of a sudden, you know, you've got these two competing powers, um, the Russian backed Kim Il-sung in the North and the American backed South Korean government. That's still fairly new and emerging as a Republic in the South. And um, after all this oppression, they were both super, super happy to be independent, but the South didn't view the North as truly independent, and the North didn't like the fact that there's a bunch of dirty capitalists to their South. So, lo and behold, in comes our friend Kim Il-sung. And as a matter of fact, that is a tie-in to our first question of the night. Ben, um, <clears throat> let's talk through Kim Il-sung a little bit. So Okay. So, a long time ago, in a country far, far away... There is Korea, and we call it North Korea, and we will be talking about the man, the myth, the legend. Well, I don't know if you want to call him a legend, really. I don't know. <laughs> I uh, mean, he is in his own country. He's a god. Yeah, so. in his own. Yes. So his name is Kim Il-sung, original name Kim Song-ju. I am totally butchering these names. I know I am, but he is born in the same month. My birthday is April 15th, but not the same year, 1912. Okay, so anyways, in somewhere near Pyongyang, Korea. Yep, yep, you nailed that one. Okay, yeah, mm-hmm. Okay, so he was the leader of North Korea from 1948 to 1994, okay? Damn, that dude was old as shit. 
I know, I know. So he was the country's premier, I think that's how you say it, from 1948 to 1972, chairman of its dominant Korean Workers' Party from 1949 and president and head of the state from 1972. Okay. Huh. He is the grandfather of the North Korea's leader now. Uh, I, I don't know how to Kim say Jong-un. his name. They, they, they became that, a dynastic uh, thing. Yeah. I'll talk about that yeah. in a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just like, you know, what Darth Vader wanted. Uh um, That's a good he was, way to put it. Holy shit! Yeah, I know. See? <laughs> Darth Vader like wanted his son to become the next, you know. Yeah. Anyway, so Kim was the son of parents who fled for, to Manchuria during the childhood to escape the Japanese rule of Korea. He attended an elementary school in Manchuria, and while still a student, joined a communist youth organization. Okay, and just like about anybody who gets into stuff like this, he was arrested and jailed for activities with the group in the 1929 to 30s. Okay, after his release from prison, he joined a Korean guerrilla resistance against the Japanese occupation. As you do when the Japanese have been in charge of your country for 150 years and using your women as sex slaves mm-hmm. and stuff. It is crazy how the Japanese were back then. Dude. Now they are like, like just it's it's they were so crazy and evil back then, but now they're like, it's a great place to visit. Well, and here's the thing, right? Like speaking on the Japanese piece, I don't think people truly realize, at least in the West, like how almost looked down on the Japanese people are because to, you know, the most ancient civilizations in the world, these events aren't old. Like to us, sure. Pre-World War II and during World War II, our very short societal memory <clears throat> lets us forget that <clears> – <throat> Excuse me, Japan was um, not the greatest to their neighbors, not the greatest to some of their own people. They were a, literally an empire, not just figuratively an empire. And mm-hmm. it really fucked people up. So, communists and even just regular nationalist insurgencies happened against the Japanese government all throughout the 30s because they were raping and killing people and they, they deserved to get insurgent governments against them. Oh, y'all. Anyway, shall I keep going? Indeed. Okay, so while he was doing this guerrilla fight against the Japanese, the Soviet Union noticed them. They were like, oh, hello, comrade. Come to our country. Let us teach you the ways of military and political stuff. You know? Y'all. And that's where he joined the local Communist Party. Good times. Mm, Indeed. Yeah. Anyways. So I guess during World War II... uh, he led a Korean contingent, con- contingent, yeah, that's how you say, as a major in the Soviet army. Uh, after the Japanese surrender in 1945, Korea was effectively divided between the Soviet-occupied northern half and a U.S.-supported southern half. North Korea, South Korea, good, bad, eh. you know, uh, but. Yeah, so they split down the middle, and uh, uh, and then around 1948, he became uh, he became the first premier of the newly formed Democratic People's Republic of Korea in 1948, and in 1949, he became the chairman of the Korean Workers Communist Party. As you do when you've been trained and groomed by the Soviets through the biggest war in the world to, you know, be a critical eastern portion of the revolution yes now this will probably answer our second question which is why did they attack south korea well 
because he was hoping to reunite, re, re, reunite the whole country of Korea in one leadership under the Communist Party, under the Communist regime, just like Darth Vader taking over the galaxy. <sighs> but yeah, so, uh, yeah, so in the 1950s, Kim launched the invasion of South Korea. That was like summer of 50, yeah? They came right across with no warning and tanks and smacked the army right upside the head. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there were some really critical parts in that first year because it was the first showdown between, like, Soviet-trained or Soviet-informed, Soviet-backed, like, um, communist doctrine and stereotypical U.S. doctrine. Did you look into Pusan at all, the Pusan perimeter? I don't think so, but I can look it up right now. I got you. So okay. the interesting Sweet. part, when when they, when they started the war, right, as they they swing in, they they sucker punch South Korea. They suck, sucker punch the army advisors, U.S. Army advisors that are co-located with them. And they rapidly, because Korea is a really small peninsula and there's only a handful of really developed roads that connect most of the cities together, just start running right through the entire thing. And they pin the army in the southern portion of the pen called Pusan or Pusan, depending on how you pronounce it. And um, the army guys, the army advisors with some rock army helpers, basically held this perimeter for a little while until our forefathers, the United States Marines, ran up and did that left hook at Incheon. Came in from the west side after a really concentrated intelligence operation to try to cut off the entire Korean army at the neck of the peninsula there between Incheon and, and the East Coast. So they almost cut them off, but the North Korean army was able to escape. But from there, it was a running war that leads us to the next subject, the Chosen Reservoir. Yeah. And that happened because China sucker punched the U.S. to back their Southern Communist brothers. Things got cold for a little while. And um, oh, effectively... Man, the, the Chinese surprise attack was enough to push the Americans all the way back to the 38th parallel where they dug in for trench warfare. And honestly, that was why America eventually agreed to an armistice, right? Because um, the Chinese sucker punched us. So the, the Koreans had a much more significant backing. And then um, after that specific incident, the, um, after that specific incident, the trench warfare and the amount of casualties that um, the U.S. and now U.N. forces were taking were too, too – they were too um, prevalent, I guess, for the U.S. public to rectify. So you start seeing the first kind of incidents of Vietnam where the people start protesting the war because – they don't understand why they're somewhere in Northeast Asia trying to fight a war against two powers that aren't necessarily relevant, if that makes sense. Yes. So that brings us to kind of the end of the war because we agreed to a peace treaty. Yeah. Now, I mean, now let me go back to finish what I was talking about, the, the leader. Yeah. Because uh, we kind of like jumped around a little bit. But uh, um, like as, when he, as the head of the state, he creates – he crushed all his domestic opposition, eliminated his last travels for power, pretty much probably killed them all, you know, 
did what usually people like that do, you know? Yeah, as, as and, you do. And, like, he transformed North Korea into an austere, militaristic, and highly regimented society. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, they're still like that today, you know? I mean, he introduced a philosophy known as Juchi, or uh, self-reliance, under which North Korea tried to develop its economy with little or no help from outside sources at all. And from the 50s and 60s and a little bit, they did good. They were, you know, they were they were doing stuff. They were, you know, the economy was growing rapidly. But then by the 19, early 90s, it kind of went stagnant. It kind of was like, okay, well, that's, that's all we can do right now, you know. And... Uh, and pretty much he ran, he ruled for about 46 years unchallenged, you know? Yeah, and I think part of that, right, because you said they started to stagnate right about the early 90s. Yeah. And even though the Koreans' relationship with um, the Koreans' relationship with some of the um, some of these international powers like China and the Soviet Union it kind of gave them trade without giving them trade, right? So for such a long time, they were able to interact with fellow communist societies, maintain their communist dictatorship, and operate as a satellite state of that Soviet Union, but in the Pacific, so they're not quite as recognized. And um, as soon as the 90s hit, the Soviet Union collapsed. China had already agreed to tr trade deals with the U.S., and that support all of a sudden became very frowned upon. So yeah. when by the time Kim Il-sung died, they didn't have the same support ideologically or physically that they did from their friends. Yeah. And, and then, like, in the 1980s, like how Darth Vader was, he needed an apprentice. So he raised he raised his eldest son Kim Jong Il to the highest post in the party and military, in effect, to make him the next leader of the empire. Of course. Yep. You know. And you know, with with Kim Jong Il, um, the Kim Jong Illist, if you will, I mean, we really only saw an escalation, like a, a dramatic escalation following Kim Il-sung's death because that transfer of power was very easy for them. And, and of course, Kim Jong-il became that next, um, that next uh, kind of forebear that, that aired the empire. So it was very, very easy, very, very smooth that upon Kim Il-sung's death, Kim Jong-il became the next guy. And it was just, it's written like, this is how it is. We're going to build statues of this guy now. He's not quite as good as Kim Il-sung, but he's almost as good. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And then under Kim Jong-il, you start to see that sort of um, continuous development. It, it's fairly quiet in the 90s. They're going through that stagnation period. They're grasping at straws, trying to find ways to get relevance from the international community. And that's kind of when the light bulb goes on of we might have to be a little bit more drastic to interact and to be visual and, and, and to be identified by these different realms of nations. So um, you start seeing these news reports come out from the Bush administration going into the 2000s about, you know, the, the evil empire of Iran, North Korea, and I think it was China and Russia before 9-11, you know, all of that ranting about these four countries that are so bad. Um, and the North Koreans being cited in that because 
they were so hardline militaristic societies. They were still poking the international norm as far back as that administration. And they were arguably being more vocal about it because they, um, because they, they didn't have access to those resources, you know? So their, their motto becomes, fuck you, I have missiles. You know, and, and fuck you, we have all these guns and all these things that we've built with all this bullshit we have in our mountains, so we'll fuck you up. And, and they become this big, evil, angry porcupine with absolute control of their society. It's really sad, honestly, thinking about it, because the South and the North are not different. They're all part of the same peninsula. They see themselves as Korea. But the ideologies are so different that they, they are just incompatible. And that's what pushes them to war because their idea of unity, like in the South, is freedom, you know, fast cars, economy, basic, um, basic, almost westernized way of life. And then in the North, it's this last bastion of true socialist resistance compared to their peers or their, their sort of progenitors in Russia and China. So the people that made them what they are have all changed, but Korea is the last holdout and they're kind of getting propped up by their neighbors to the North every so often, just enough to jerk it along and keep the U S distracted. They're being manipulated and it's fucking sad. Hmm. So that brings us into this sort of desperate attempt now because they're still being isolated, they're still being sanctioned, they're still being hit in the international stage, and it's making it very difficult for them to a it's, it's very <sighs> well, anyway. Sorry, lost my train of thought. Um, going back to the original thing, the um, Kim Jong-un comes to power, right? And I remember this distinctly because of the, <laughs> because of all the shit that happened in like 2011, 2012 when Kim Jong-il was in really bad shape, right? A lot of people are asking questions. What's going to happen? How are they going to react? And Kim Jong-un was a, you know, he was a wild card. He was an unknown. He came out of nowhere. And um, it was one of those things where the, the news started doing exposés on him. A lot of people started making guesses about what he's going to do. And they came to the conclusion that he was going to double down on the strategy like there there's no no chance of really getting him to work with the west but i don't necessarily believe that's correct because you have you know little instances like the meeting with trump which you know could have been a face but you know all these hints that he likes westernized things all these hints that he was educated in a westernized institution all of this stuff that slowly gets leaked about him you're like i don't know i don't necessarily believe that we can't work with him, you know? I think that there's something there that we, we either could pull the string on him or we could pull the string on his country and yank it out from under him. 
but that's just me. What do you think? I mean, for, well, first, who, who's, his, who's, who's the friend of his that's a basketball player? Uh, fucking, oh, man. It's uh, the dude that played for the Bulls. You know, I mean, he has a friend who's an American, comes over from America to visit him. You know, yeah. I don't think his dad or grandpa would let that happen. You know, they didn't have, I don't think they had friends that were American. I mean, his grandpa, his friends were the Russians and the Chinese. I mean, you know. Yeah. So I don't, I don't like, you know, I mean, I, I think what it is, he, I know it almost sounds cultish where like everyone else has to be in the poor while he gets all the good stuff. You know, like he wants to get that Western stuff, you know, but, you know, at the moment, no one else can get it, you know. You know, I don't know if that's true or not, but it was Dennis Rodman. Dennis Rodman was the oh, basketball yeah. player that he sat down with and, and, and sat with. So the thing about North Korea is that, like, all of that majority of the stuff that you you hear out of propaganda propaganda circles is, is true. Like, they put on this huge propaganda show to everybody that goes through, and they show everybody all these fake grocery stores and stuff, just like you have in the interview huh. or in any well, of these news I exposés. Mean, I mean, like the Hitler did it with the concentration camp victims, if I remember. Yes, and and that's the thing. Like, I'm pretty sure there have been um, un unclassified, like, think tanks and private organizations that have even tried to find the concentration camps on imagery in North Korea, and um, they may have even been able to do so. Like th there's evidence that they are indeed still doing yeah. that. They they still have active gulags, and honestly, the most pertinent example we have of them gulagging um, anybody, but especially officials and stuff to keep power, is when um, in February 2020, right before COVID went off the rails, um, Kim Jong Un. And I don't know how many people remember this or not. Kim Jong Un faked his death. The news got a hold of a story. It got leaked out in North Korea that Kim Jong-un's in poor health and he's going down. A bunch of people, you know, were apparently inside the country, tried to make some power moves. And the immediate next news reports came out of that is, hey, man, it looks like there's been this massive purge. And Kim Jong-un's sister is now sitting beside him. So the sister, just like Leia, to add to our Darth Vader analogy, is getting pulled into the fold just in case something bad yeah. happens to Kim Jong-un. So they're continuing the dynasty. I think, you know, the key thing to highlight there is that even China today still believes that they are a communist party. They still believe in the revolution they went through and everything else. You see it in all of their publications. Um, they are still a socialist, at least leaning, or they favor that, that, that image at a minimum. So they're going to project that. Um, it's even probably more hardened in the Kim regime because um, I think it's Kim Chong-yo is her name or something like that. His sister, Kim Jong-un, Kim Jong-il, and um, Kim Il-sung all have this ancestral connection to Korea. And the biggest barrier to the unification process is the fact that they need to keep the number one spot and they know the second the south is able to break down the dmz and to get across with anything more than they already have because they have the kaesong industrial complex already but if they start influencing northern society more and more and more like with the balloon launches and stuff like that 
once that peaceful transition happens, the Kim family is not only coming out of power, they're probably coming straight into criminal charges to get executed and their names are going to get drugged through the dirt. At this point, I don't even think it's about preserving the socialist revolution. It's about preserving the family name. And that has driven people to do all kinds of atrocities and things. But that's just kind of my personal opinion. So you, you, right? you kind of you think it's almost like the Robin, Robinoff family? Yeah, it, it, it's like any other sort of ancestral yeah. dynasty, right? Where, um, like you got the the Tudors yeah. in England or um, the the Romanovs. You had like the the assholes in Austria Hungary that went to World War One over Archduke Franz Ferdinand, yeah. the Habsburgs. All of those guys have done great lengths of things to stay into power and to maintain their legitimacy as these rulers. And the North hasn't quite gotten that message because there's ne one, they've never been in a position of sovereignty. They've never had their own like destiny. And two, the, um, the major portion with the Korea thing is like, they, ha they are a, a dynastic power. And if they lose their family name gets run through the dirt yeah. and they're forgotten. You know, and, and, and they're they're live they're looked on yeah. as war criminals. They're literally doing what they have to, not because they want to, but because if they don't, the consequences would be just abhorrent for them. The only way to get them to bite off on surviving would be almost like a joint government during a transitionary period or something like that. Because if you make the transition smoothly, um then you get stuck into like the North has to slowly kind of work the really loyal people. And of course the people that are publicly distrustful of the deal into comfortability to being, you know, free to choose. And then you have to, you know, ease them into giving them those freedoms back. You're not, because otherwise you're going to probably deal with that sort of Yugoslavia, Eastern European sort of uproar, of all these different groups have freedom, they're going to do what they want. They're going to see, seize power how they want, and people get concerned about it, right? It, it's a super complicated. The the walls come tumbling down with peaceful reunification, even if you promise the Kims some form of um, immunity for what 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 that family's yeah. done for the last hundred years. It, 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 it you're you're stuck between a rock and a hard place. So as you work through that the um the other piece you work at is okay they don't have any connections they're being manipulated by the larger powers of the north china and russia and they're um they're being sanctioned by everybody and their mother in the west and some other regions of the world so they can't get at least some of the basic supplies they need to keep things moving forward. It, it, it's a very precarious situation they're constantly in. Um, we just had Kim Jong-un on national television crying to the public and apologizing tearfully because sanctions are hurting his country and creating starvation at such a bad rate. Well, I mean, um, there's so a, there's a, there's... To, to, go ahead. Sorry, to fix that, you have to get the saber rattling. Right, that's yeah. where the missile launches come in. But I cut I you saying, off. What we there's a say? way to fix the whole not starving my people is start, you know, not doing what you're not, you know, stop doing what you're, yeah, pretty <laughs> not much. Not being an asshole. <laughs> Political reforms, the same thing we ran you into know? with fucking France, right? 
but it it, it it goes back to that destiny thing, man, where where they watched Russia fall. You know, they saw what happened when the Soviet Union lost control of Eastern Europe and they watched the Balkans, they watched Bosnia, Herzegovina, Serbia, and the Yugoslav Republic fall apart. And um it was bad. There was murder everywhere. And they don't they're they're trying to maintain stability, but they don't know how to do it. So they go to saber rattling because they figure if I threaten to do enough crazy shit to the West, then the West is eventually you know, just like they did during the 1950s, going to say, well, we don't have the time, the resources, or the stomach to lose a certain amount of people to make sure that you go down. So here's some food. And, and that, that's kind of that logic there is they, they, they showed that they blinked in 53. We can get them to blink again if we just rattle our sabers enough and we make ourselves posture and look big and scary. So they shoot these missiles they make a bunch of noise. They say they're going to wipe out the world, and everybody laughs at them. But somebody will throw them a crumb or two as like a "Okay, Korea, eat a <laughs> Snickers, calm down," right? It's it literally it, it, it's so fucked up, but it's true. <laughs> that is that is exactly how the, these provocations I mean, it's, like it, work. It, it's almost like North Korea and the short man syndrome. That well, I mean, look at yeah. Kim Jong Un. Have you seen him? Yeah, he's short and he's fat. <laughs> That poor guy got the I short mean, end of the like, sticks. Because, <laughs> like, one, I don't think they're going to try to start a war. I mean, if anything, if something happens, it'll be China I'd worry about. But, like, Korea, eh, I think if, if North Korea tried to do some crap, there would be a lot of countries going after them. Maybe. maybe. I don't know. It's a different time well, period now. I mean, yeah, and, and you're right. You know, we, we, we you never really can tell. Um like with the, the the Arab Spring, right? That was a completely that was that was almost a, a, a vacuum that got yeah. blown open, right? And especially in Libya, 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 the Libya wing of the of the Arab Spring is the big one that that I, I'm kind of talking about here because nobody thought Gaddafi was going yeah. anywhere. You know, everybody thought like it would be a quick oppressive action. There would be this sort of, oh, my God, Allahu Akbar, you know, fuck you, Gaddafi, we, we're, we're tired of your ass. And then a bunch of people get killed, and they're like, oh, damn, that's why we didn't do that last time. But something stuck in, in the Arab Spring. Something stuck. Something drove it forward. Could have been U.S. influence, you know, if you, if you go by what the Benghazi trial said. It could have been a dozen other things. But the reality is, once Gaddafi was gone... You know, it was a it was a huge upheaval. There was this big thing, like, oh my god, you know, that's the first dictator that got taken out. But it turned into a yep. war, you know, and, and there the Congress was so pissed off because we were going into over ninety days of, of combat operations there. Even if there were no boots on the ground, it was still combat. And um, I don't know, like, I, I don't think we have a historical precedent for dealing with some of these quote-unquote rogue regimes um, that become or that, that, are, that are, I guess, so indoctrinated yeah. with being willing to I throw mean, down. You know, I, I think that's part of the reason why we pull everything along is to keep the prophets, like, keep them into, a, into a, a vision where they think they might be able to control Yeah, it, I mean, if, if, if anyone's going to take over North Korea, like, fight the, take out, you know, it's going to be its own people, I feel like. Now, will they yeah, will they succeed? I could see that. Uh, maybe not, because China probably will come in. Maybe, you know, 
But, I mean, it'll be like the Rebel Alliance against the Empire, but this time the Empire wins, probably. Well, that's an interesting point, right? Because China has changed a lot since 1950 yeah. when they jumped into the first war. I, I partially agree that they might they might jump in. They might try to try to step in and solve the situation. They they need that secure border there, and and that that buffer between I guess quote unquote Western influence and China. But the thing is that Chinese society is so um, advanced now, thanks to Nixon's you know original trade policy that just blossomed into China becoming the overseas factory yeah. for every tech giant in the world. Um, they are hugely advanced. And they're hugely capable. And if they did step in, maybe the Kims fall out of power. Maybe North Korea stays socialist. But they get the same development the South would get if, you know, all hell breaks loose and all things go south. You know, it's a really, really kind of interesting thing to chew on if you consider the fact that China, while they may be, you know, completely despicable in the conduct of like societally at times where they're, you know, making protesters disappear out of Hong Kong or they're, you know, literally holding concentration camps for their people. They are also technologically an extremely yeah. advanced power. You know, they're, they're not irrelevant. And that, that's what a lot of people kind of take a blink on sometimes. It, it's interesting. It's a yeah. really, really interesting comment. Um, like, I don't know if they would ever end up having a coup or, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, from, from watching YouTube videos about North Korea where random Americans can get in, it's a little crazy, man. I mean, it, well, you ever heard, you ever read it in 1984? Yeah, I've heard of 1984. So... That in that book, um, it's either that or Fahrenheit 451. I'm getting it mixed up, but they're both sci-fi books. Mm. They're both about oppressive governments, and they're both Ooh, about like the Hunger Games flow, right? Yeah. yeah, just like the Hunger Games. So you've got an oppressive government; they're all fucked up, and you know you have hardliners that buy in to every word of it. But psychologically, not everybody works that way, you know, especially people that may have access to, I don't know, say those old balloon drops that, that South Korean activists do all the time and put on YouTube. They find flash drives of information. You see it on documentaries and stuff. They, they get yeah. underground stuff. Or So there are people, there are plenty yeah, of people I mean, in that country that just pretend, you know, that, uh, you don't know how I mean, many. If anyone wants to watch a good movie that's kind of like North Korea style of government control, V for Vendetta. Yes. Great movie. I mean, that is a great like, movie. You got the leader who's like, you know, talking to the guy who's part of propaganda. And he's like, yeah, do it like this, you know, and like making it like scaring the people with like this virus that started in the beginning, like millions dead. You know, that's how he yeah. got into leadership. He was like, this virus, is, they can't control it. Vote me in. And he became a pretty much, he got, became a ch the chancellor and became kind of like a, a Hitler or a North Korea. Yeah. North he Korea. British Hitler yeah. or, or Kim, Kim Jong-un or even fucking Xi Jinping. Like, yeah. These guys are not good people. 
but they yet they're they're cults of personality and they end up taking control. It's it's so interesting I mean, to get yeah, into these things because like you got but yeah you hit the nail I mean, on the head with got, the, like the guy Dennis who was, was the comedian who making fun of the leader. But well, what happened to him the very next day? He was kidnapped and taken from his house and probably executed. You know, just like because I think North Korea yep. just executed one of his leaders for not doing a video chat to or or, or or complaining that they had too much work or something. You know, I'm just like, it's like, <laughs> oh, I mean, like, yeah. I think they executed <laughs> one for one of his commanders for falling asleep during meetings. Gosh, think about how it was in the Marine Corps. Like, instead of you standing up and getting I, I, in trouble, IT. You, <laughs> instead of yeah, being verbally shot, executed, you, know, you actually got shot. Like, take, like, <laughs> not even on watch, but like actually at your desk while you're doing classes or pa- death by PowerPoint. You know? Yeah. I mean... No kidding. I'm just waiting for some guy like V to be in North Korea, you know? Yeah. That would be kind of cool. I mean, you never know, man. I know. Rodman could have done some work over there, but we'll never get that full story. <laughs> um, but to kind of wrap all this stuff up, the big thing, like we, we covered it a little bit, but the big reason why I, I laugh at people, there, there's really two big reasons. Um, the big reasons, I guess I should say, why I laugh at people when they get really scared about North Korean missile programs, especially ICBMs, is um, one, like we kind of talked to so hard, they're trying to make sure the regime survives and their family line doesn't get dug through the mud and everything. They're trying to make sure that um, North Korea is respected and continues being and eventually, you know, can coexist and reunify with the South. They're not trying to go to war. These, these missile launches based on their entire history are just trying to, they're, they're just them trying to get more food in all, in all reality. They're, they're, they're poking every button they can. They're rattling every, every, everything they can to be heard, to be noticed and to maybe, you know, create some international dialogue that says, man, we've been really fucking hard on you. Maybe we should lay off. And then the other big thing that, that I, I really, really see is I, I think people really underestimate the military capability that the U.S. brings to the table, you know, and we're not going to get into like super, super, super granular detail here, but um, plain as day on Okinawa, for example, you can drive by some of these housing bases and an addendum to that, you can see Patriot, you know, air to air missile batteries sitting outside being inspected, ready to go at a moment's notice because we yeah. happen to be a two hour flight from North Korea. You know, we built a large relationship with both our friends and our enemies like across the board and and the biggest thing we've done to do that is in the south we put in this awesome thing called the thad the thad is the terminal high altitude air defense system or a radar and that radar or that radar and that missile system suite combined um is very capable and it's it makes the iron dome look like the iron duck you know, they're, 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 the Israelis always bang the drum about how, oh, we can defend our cities. The Thad is a big, bulky version of that that can just knock missiles out of the sky like it's cool. And we're selling them to our friends, right? 
it, it, it's a public thing. We, we sell um, capabilities to people we want to protect that can't necessarily protect themselves. They've got those. And then just imagine if they've got super, super capable things that can stop missiles, what do we have? You know, that's not home. That's, those, are, those are friends, but that's not home. You know, think about what we've built to protect ourselves here in the States. I don't even know. I don't have a, even a, the wildest guess of the, the ring of radars and everything else. I've heard stories about how NORAD gives us radar coverage all over the place and how, like, you know, there's, there's um, very, very good, very, very effective situational awareness. We've been doing it since the Cold War. But, I mean, one missile coming across is not going to do anything to that big old bubble of defense that watched the Russians come and go and has watched the Chinese modernize and, and go away from wanting to shoot the U.S. with missiles, right? That's part of the reason we built such a big wall for things like that, missiles and bombers combined. It's so funny how people get so wrapped around a uh, missile program. You know, because we've been facing down these other big powers that have had them for 50 years. It's like people forget, but that's yeah. part of the reason why we made this podcast. You know what I'm saying? So that was the big, those are the big things that I'm like, guys, you know, this is the big reason why I want to do a Korea thing. Because at the end of the day, not just the the Korean evolution, how they, how they just want to survive as a country, but um, also that piece where we're not only propping our friends up, we also have a big thing of defense for those missiles built around us. We're literally like prepared for anything they could throw at us. I think, um, honestly, I was more scared living in that area, being in that problem set in 2016 when they started shooting regular artillery at each other than I was when they started shooting yeah. missiles because you can't stop an artillery shell. And that actually causes problems. Like if casualties are taken, I remember how bad things got after the YPDO, PYDO incident when they shelled that fishing village. That's just the beginning. Like that's just the, the beginning of the onion. If, if that actually shooting war starts that way, I'm then we're going to I'm, lose I'm a lot of I'm surprised we didn't do something, so like start Koreans. something. I think it's good. You know, I think... I mean, we, we've lost, we lost the ship to their submarine a little while ago, like 10, 10 15 years ago now. There was, there was those two exchanges of artillery. But the whole reason we stood up that conversation or that, that, that negotiation room is in, in the JSA, you know, right there on the DMZ, where Trump and, and, and Kim met four years ago now, um, was, to, was yeah. to figure that kind of shit out. You know, just like the Russians and us had had that red phone that Kennedy and or um, who was it? Kennedy and fucking um, Yeltsin could pick up and they could talk to each other and be like, hey, man, or no, it was Gorbachev. Kennedy and Gorbachev could pick up and call and say, hey, man, where is your head at? Like, are you really going to do this? We can't talk about it. It's the same thing with North Korea. We, we are an advanced Western society. We don't want to throw down unless we have to. And we've been exceptionally good at walking back things like that. And honestly, by being as manipulative as their partners of the North um, in China and Russia, we can kind of jerk Korea along a little bit because we have our thumb on so much of 
you know, their assets. We can say, look, dude, calm down. We'll give you some relief and we'll figure this out. We'll talk it through. Yeah. It's, it's a very strange dynamic, but, um, they've been receptive to that. You know, they've been very receptive to talking because push comes to shove. The second that they are to do that, the second that they decide to say, you know what, we're, we're going out in a ball of fire. They know that they're going on a ball of fire. and Everything they fought for for this long is gone. There's a bunch of little motivators that, that tip and cue things. And I think that's why people shouldn't be scared about Korea. Cautious, maybe. Scared and posting things on social media that make you look really dumb? I don't think so. <sighs> but at the end of the day, I'm cautiously optimistic. I think that, you know... 10, 15 years, if enough nice interactions happen and they start to outweigh the negative ones that we've had and you start to see a little bit more of that development, that capitalization on cooperation between the two, we may actually yeah. have a way forward. It's going to take a very long time. Will the empire of North Korea join the light side and get rid of the dark side? I don't know. We'll find Exactly. Man, you are I, fucking on point with these sci-fi things today, man. Well, it's great. Well, Emperor was Emperor. But what's his name? What's the guy's name now? now? Yeah, well, Emperor Kim Jong Un. Kim Jong Un. Turn to the light side. Find out next time on. Uh, oh. Well, he died of diabetes, and his anime, anime uh, sister ended up taking over and being all kinds of. What was that show you used to watch? The oh, Girls in Panzer or something like that? The crazy anime it? show. What was that one? <laughs> I don't remember. The pan the tank school, uh, man. I think you really want to tell me. Might be about one it. of your other buddies. Or was it one of my other freaking Yeah, I don't know, man. One of those anime shows. Okay. I'll, it's I'll Tanks see. and Panzer or something like that. I don't remember. But it's a battle oh, school where girls know. like fight each other in tanks. Well it looks looks cool. It's a little this, nuts, shall we? It's nuts. <laughs> Let's screw this. <laughs> and now Let's we're in the third part anime. of the podcast. Let's drop some props. girls in tanks. <laughs> anime. All right, I think I spelled that wrong, but that's okay. Okay, hold on. Oh yeah, I guess it's called Girls Unpenza. <laughs> 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 yeah that's the one yeah i know uh it's crazy isn't it <laughs> i thought you told me about that shit Who it, it wasn't me because i was more i'm more i don't know it's been so long and stuff man. and like uh i got yeah like i like 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 dragon ball z big o gundam you no know, uh and then i got into high school of the dead which was good yeah, which was oh yeah, you showed me that one where like the SDF yeah, yeah, running around was shooting good, zombies in the face I, I mean, high school like, and stuff. They just they had the they just kept dealing with the girls with the big boobs and stuff. I'm like, I want to see zombie killing. I don't care about that. I want to see zombie <laughs> killing. You know? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Bro, I was, come I was, on, it's Japan. I remember walking down an alleyway and I saw a guy. I think it was a guy dressed up like little Bo Peep, and I was like, what the hell? I think it was a guy. I mean, I think it was a guy. <laughs> I know. 
You got that weird mainland shit though, man. I didn't get to see any of that. I was, I, well, I, I take was, that back. I got to see Godzilla. The 18 months I was like, there, I could never find him. Bro, no lie. There's a there's a hill. It's down towards Nakaguzku. It's towards yeah. the, but it's more towards the center of the island, Okinawa, where there's a gas station and like a it's it's a weird sort of gas station convenience store thing, but on top of the hill above the gas station, they have a statue that overlooks the bay of God fucking Zilla. And I have a picture of it somewhere, like either saved or you know put away in one of my iCloud drives or whatever. And it's just this massive, probably thirty foot tall statue of a roaring Godzilla, and it it's just oh. it's brilliant. Man, <laughs> I was I impressed. Should, oh my and Ooh, it's the like the old, old school Godzilla, man. It's so cool. The Okinawans eat that kaiju oh, shit up. Man, I remember the old Godzilla movies. I used to watch those like religiously when I was little. I love the kung fu the God, the old Godzilla used to do. Like he make he makes yeah, well yeah, so especially like whenever he runs up and flies, like 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 jump kicks and like flies towards them. It's almost like it's like it's like Godzilla's version of Power Rangers from back in the day. Yes. <laughs> You know, like the mighty, Mor- yeah, yeah like mighty morphin power. <laughs> That's Rangers. where they got half their shit from, man. Uh, dude, dude, that my mighty that was the bomb, you know. So, besides the Godzilla flashbacks and the Power Rangers flashbacks, do you have any plugs you've been listening to lately? Like podcasts, shows, uh, Walking Dead, shoot, anything, man? No, I think it's still that crime case stuff, and like it's it's case. I think it's called Case Filed and Crime Junkies, and then Unsolved Murders, uh, Serial Killers, uh, Lights Out, which is like supernatural slash murder stuff. Yeah, I know. Good times. Good times. Nice. You know, uh, other than that, no, I'm just trying to, I'm just planning my world domination and that's about it. Well, of course, I mean, I don't think you have that much to do in Missouri while you're working on your horse farm. I guess it's natural for somebody as ambitious to succeed in the Marine Corps is probably planning world domination at some point. So I... Okay, I want to play a song real quick while you're working on that. But (laughs) Uh, the Power Rangers. It won't take long. But what are you going to play? Oh no! Oh no! Don't get us in trouble. Okay, (laughs) hold on. Let me get out. That might be copyright infringement. Let's not do that. There you go. Okay, I blocked it, so we're good. (laughs) (sighs) Man, my gosh! Good times. Fucking pay lawyer money right now. All right, so I'm going to call out a couple podcasts. I mean, I, I love I love my old standbys, right? I've got my regular list, but because we opened up this Twitter thing, I've been talking and engaging with a lot of podcasts. Like, I'm pretty sure a majority of our 150 followers or so are podcasts. <laughs> we, we've got a lot of people that we're talking to and that we're interacting with, and um, – the most recent ones, one of them is is uh, the Force 5 podcast. I gave them a listen and a review the other day. They're pretty cool. It's like if you play, like, the top five, um, like, what are your top five movies is, is kind of 
their game, but they play it with different co-hosts and they, they, they do interviews with people about different kinds of movies. So what are your top five favorite horror movies? What are your top five favorite Star Wars movies? You know, those kind of questions. I dig that map model and I love that game. And of course, I'm not really big into paying attention to what movies are on there. So it helps me when I'm laying in bed with my wife and we're trying to figure out what we're going to watch for the night, um, figure something out. So that's pretty cool. I like them. Um, another big shout out to the Forbidden Fruit podcast. Um, actually, I was talking to them via um, Twitter again, and Nick over there was um, basically inviting us to collaborate if we liked the Forbidden Fruit podcast. The Forbidden Fruit podcast is really fucking cool because um, it's one dude. And he, he walks you through um, what he calls bite of the apple moments in life, right? Because, I mean, he's, he's obviously religious. He quotes the Bible from time to time. But he, it, it's one of those things where um, he, his biggest, most notifying moment is like, or one of his favorite moments is when Adam and Eve eat from the tree because they realize, oh, I'm naked. Like They, they have that big revelation in their life. And he yeah. walks through revelations that he's had in his life throughout the time i may be a norse pagan heathen motherfucker but i right. definitely enjoy the podcast i think it's a really cool model and i, honestly, I remember uh, sound quality you know uh, like that's a, really uh, good too. about some uh notice being naked slash what is it noticing things in life or whatever okay i remember one thing i noticed was when i walked in front of my living room yeah. with the windows wide open and i was completely butt naked that was kind of a Kind of a nose thing. I dropped to the ground. I think I armor <laughs> crawled or, you know, towards uh, to the basement, you know, to get down and get some undies. I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to get arrested. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then, um, of course, we always have our, our big plug kind of at the end, um, not just for us, but around the world um we don't have a patreon we don't really need a patreon we both you know kind of do this as a hobby so um in lieu of patreon if you feel like throwing money at us we're going to pick a we're going to pick a theme or a thing out once a month in order to sort of generate money for a cause that we all kind of identify with so this month um, really big for my family. It is Autism Acceptance Month. Some people will try to correct me and say it's Autism Awareness. I will have you know, autistic people hate that shit. It is Autism Acceptance Month. Um, that is like honestly what makes our world go round. Both of our twin sons are special needs, specifically, they are autistic. And um, we worked it with them every single day uh, to just develop life skills and to make them into, you know, grown human beings one day at a time. And because we've been doing that for a while and we have a very long story about it that I might interview my wife with later on, um, that is a big driving thing for us. I need to really start getting out there on Twitter and, and banging that drum a little bit more, but that's uh, our thing. Do you have a thing this month, Crash? I, I'm not really into the, I don't know much. I'm, I, if anything... Wounded Warrior, if you want to donate to them, or, uh, you know, I mean, I probably need to start looking up on stuff like that, really. But uh, uh, I do I do know next <laughs> month, though, is going to be special, 
Okay. It's nothing like donating wise, but two things next month. May the fourth be with you. Okay. And the whole month is zombie awareness month. Of course. If that's if that <laughs> yeah, that don't that don't matter. No, Never mind no. Memorial Day. Zombie later awareness on. You, better, you, you better be aware because there will be a day <laughs> the government will do something stupid and we will have zombies going around the world. I mean, just eating everyone, you and your mom and grandma, whatever, you know, and it's not going to be fun. Well, it could be. Actually, it might be fun. We'll see. <laughs> it might be fun. Only for us crazy assholes. All right. Well, if you don't have anything else, Ben, I don't have anything else. I think we should probably let these people. That's okay. To I mean, I mean, we could spend another hour just talking about nerd things, which I'm fine with. So, dude, yes, yes, we could. I don't think we need to. Well, okay, well we could do that on the phone. <laughs> let's see. Hold on, hold on. Let, let me see. Let me say one nerd. One, let me say one nerd. No. Oh, I totally forgot a joke. Is it another joke? What, what, what did he talk about? <laughs> North Korean jokes? Let me see if there's a North Korean joke real quick. Okay, who would... Oh, man, the memes you're going to find. Actually, here's a question. Here, here, Here's a good question. Who would win in a fist fight? George Washington okay. or Abraham Lincoln? Okay. Um... You think he's? You think he's got that reach? He got that reach. He's got the reach. Okay. He got. He's got the reach. I can see that. I can. You know what? I. I honestly, I think he did do a lot of fist fights back in the day. You know. He did. Well, he was also a logger. He was a logger, a lawyer. I mean, the dude was pretty badass. I mean, not saying George Washington wasn't. I fucking love George Washington. I think that dude had a lot of positive attributes about him, despite the controversy surrounding the rest of his problematic self. But I think Abe Lincoln's got him. He's got the reach. If anything, he's got the he might bite him with his old Georgie boy. Ain't gonna that's do anything actually true. Uh, you know, give him splinters. Maybe he'll get infected. And ooh, I like I'm pretty sure they have the. They, I'm pretty sure okay. they have the teeth in him. Okay. So I have two yeah, North Korean jokes that's before crazy, you know. Okay, first one. Have you ever tried North Korean food? Okay. Yeah, that's the joke. Neither have the North Koreans. North Korean food doesn't exist. <laughs> okay. Or, or why don't that's North so Koreans like jazz that's music? And true. <laughs> yeah, because they don't have soul. Oh, no. Do I even want to know? (laughs) That's a good one. Yeah. Now we're going to get banned from North Korea because they're going to hear it. And they'll be like, don't come here. We literally just told them that they're they're a bunch of paper tiger fake pussies that aren't going to do anything. I'm pretty sure we're already banned from North Korea. That last joke might end us on a hit list somewhere. But it'll be all right. Yeah, yeah. We got, uh, we got the unless, second you know, amendment. America America turns out to be. This will be okay, right? But anyways, like we're gonna we're, we're gonna be like the two guys from South Park who have prices on their heads from Al Qaeda. <laughs> I think. What's gonna be for us? <laughs> uh, uh, Hans Briggs. Oh no! Screw you guys! I'm going home. <laughs> all right, man. Well, 
Yeah. As always, it's, it's really fun bullshitting with you. I had fun this episode. Um, wait, wait, before, this before is the we real go, conclusion, what's, what listeners, would be possible thanks the next for sticking out with us. Um, oh, okay. Oh, okay. So cool. I was actually going to get right into that. You, you read my mind. So yeah. we're, we're thinking, now, uh, texted you about the explain that, please, to me. Last, last yesterday, something like that. So, spoiler alert, we're going to get into this really in-depth next week. But what I mean when I say the weaponization of history is um, various political groups or various groups in general, they don't necessarily have to be political, have been weaponizing history for, honestly, since history was written down. So 10,000 years or so, right? So, uh, like, one really good example is how the American right in today's society weaponizes Civil War history. Um, I was going to kind of save this one for an episode, but we'll use this as a sort of preview. So the American right weaponizes Civil War history because they don't paint the full picture, and they ignore a lot of logical paradigms that were identified by really, really smart thinkers like Clausewitz and stuff. And um, basically what they do is they, they, they use this whole heritage argument for the Confederate battle flag, and they ignore the feelings and, and, and the, the discontent that that imagery brings forward in, um, in yeah. the rest of society or the rest of, I guess, self-respecting society, right? So when somebody's flying a self-battle or a southern battle flag and um, – they're, they're basically wearing it as a badge of honor and trying to get quote-unquote liberal snowflakes to come after them. They're weaponizing history. They're ignoring the vetted historical record. They're choosing to side with a bunch of racist assholes that were fighting for slavery, and they're using it as a weapon to infect, inflict emotional pain and to try to exacerbate a physical fight out of somebody okay. because they're a quote-unquote rebel, but they're really just a piece of shit. That's what I mean as an example of the weaponization of history. Um, like I warned you, this one might get a little bit more political, but we're going to try to remain as analytic as possible about it. And we're also going to be fair, right? We're not just going to cover it down on the American right. We're also going to cover down on, you know, the usage of Soviet imagery in um, extremist liberal factions. Like that's, we can't fucking go for that shit. Yeah. That's more responsible for more deaths in Nazism, not just because it lasted longer. You know, um, there's a lot of things that we're going to call out in the next episode. Might lose his followers, might lose his fans, um, but it'll be an interesting exploration in critical thinking. Really, that, that was something that I'm a big fan of, and I think actually, that's actually, where we're going to go. Fans, um, do we have any fans next yet? time around? Um, so, yeah, I would say that we do, um, our Twitter feed, I know I keep hitting it, but you guys are fucking awesome. Um, pretty much the entire podcast community is really great. They like bringing people together and, um, I wish I could tag more than, you know, a dozen people on one tweet because I would literally just at the entire fucking group of people that have been, yeah. Um, following us and at least giving us feedback via social media, much less the dudes that are going out of their way, you know, as I kind of interact with people 
dropped to mention that I've got a podcast and invite people to check it out. The, the few that have, even my Norwegian buddy that I met when I was on tour over there, um, have all enjoyed it. They've all loved, loved the interpretation of it. And I think it's, um, I think it's really cool that the, the, at least a handful of people are out there giving us some, some props and listen to us fucking yab on for a little while. So it's fun. I'm enjoying it. I hope you're and enjoying then what's, it. And what's our name on Twitter? Post, and I'm looking forward to making a bunch more. Our, our name on Twitter is at force underscore history. Okay, sweet. And our name on Facebook is okay, I'm going to have to look this up. History. I know. Uh, yeah, okay, man. well, I am. Are you? We've been busy. Anything else? <laughs> I'm good. Um, I think that concludes this second full Gosh, episode. Gosh, no, of I think that's history. it. You got anything else to leave us off with, Kraus? All right, Heck, man. Yeah, man. I well, think, here, honestly, we need to do a little bonus episode. episode. We're just I'm talking our things. Okay. Okay, and we'll figure out what we want to talk like All Jurassic right, Park. Let's do it. We can it's go Friday. on a whole history of Jurassic Park. You know? I mean, I could tell you I can I can I can we tell could. you how much I chased my we cat could, around. We're like gonna save that one for a bonus episode, brother. <sighs> All right, man. Listeners, it's good having you out again. Um Ben, as always, it's a privilege. Heck yeah, man. Um, See ya. That was the Blunt Force History Podcast. You're probably confused as shit right now, but so are we. Tune in next time to figure out what kind of shit happens next. Mm-hmm.